0: we left off on page 125 which you're receiving um, and we left off right at a good place uh, going into chapter 10 and we're looking at the expansion of the gospel to the Gentiles now and so as you uh, remember back and think back to Acts chapter 1 when we were there uh, it started out with the expansion of the gospel and looking at (laughs) this theme of the gospel expanding out uh, from Jews uh, right around Jerusalem out to the outer edges of uh, Jerusalem in in that particular region and into Samaria and finally into uh, going into the Gentiles. We're on page 125. Okay, in what section? Uh, Top of page 125 and point 2. And so let's, let's read chapter 10, and we'll start at verse 1 and go to verse 33, um, Acts chapter 10 to verse 33, and we'll hear the story of Cornelius, which expresses the expansion of the gospel to the Gentiles. And in verse one, it says, there was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of the band called the Italian band, a devout man and one that feared God with all his house, which gave much alms to the people and prayed to God all way. He saw a vision evidently about the ninth hour of the day, an angel of God coming in to him and saying unto him, Cornelius. And when he looked on him, he was afraid and said, What is it, Lord? And he said unto him, Thy prayers and thine alms are come up for a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa and call for one Simon, whose surname is Peter. He lodgeth with one Simon a tanner, whose house is by the seaside. He shall tell thee what thou oughtest to do. And when the angel spake unto Cornelius, he departed uh, uh, and was departed. He called two of his household servants and devout soldiers of them uh, that waited on him continually. And when he had declared all these things unto them, he sent them to Joppa. On the morrow, as they went on their journey and drew nigh unto the city, Peter went up on the housetop to pray the sixth hour. And he became very hungry and would have eaten. But while he made ready, he fell into a trance and saw... Heaven open, And a certain vessel descending unto them as it had been a great sheet knit at the four corners and let down to the earth. Wherein were all manner of four-footed beasts of the earth and wild beasts and creeping things and fowls of the air. And there came a voice to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, Not so, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that was common or unclean. And the voice spake unto him again the second time, what God hath cleansed that call not or call not thou uh, common. This was done thrice, and the vessel was received up again into heaven. Now while Peter doubted in himself what this vision or, or what this vision which he had seen should mean, behold, the men which were sent from Cornelius had made inquiry from Simon's house and stood before the gate and called and asked whether Simon, which was surnamed Peter, lodged there. While Peter thought on the vision, the Spirit said unto him, Behold, three men seek thee. Arise therefore, and get thee down, and go with them, doubting nothing, for I have sent them. Then Peter went down to the men which were sent unto him from Cornelius, and said, Behold, I am he whom you seek." What is the cause wherefore you are come? And they said, Cornelius the centurion, a just man and one who feareth God, and of a good report among all the nation of the Jews, was warned from God by an holy angel to send thee into his house and hear of, of hear the words of thee. Then called he them in and lodged them. And on the morrow Peter went away uh, with them, and certain brethren from Joppa accompanied him and the morrow, after the, they entered into caesarea and cornelius waited for them and had called together his kinsmen and near friends and as peter was coming uh, in cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshiped him but peter took him up saying stand up i myself am also a man and as he talked uh, with him he went in and found many that were come together and he said unto them, You know how that it is unlawful, an unlawful thing for a man that is a Jew to keep company or come unto one of another nation. Uh, but God has showed me, I shall not call any man common or unclean. Therefore uh, came I unto you without gainsaying. As soon as I sent for you, I asked, therefore, for what intent you have sent me. And Cornelius said, uh, four days ago, I was fasting until this hour. And at the ninth hour, I prayed in my house. And behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, thy prayer is heard. And thine alms are are, are had in remembrance in the sight of God. Send, therefore, uh, to Joppa and call hither Simon, whose surname is Peter. He is lodged in the house of one Simon, a tanner by the seaside, who when he cometh shall speak unto thee. Immediately therefore I sent to thee, and thou hast well done that thou art come. Now therefore are we all here present before God, to hear all the things commanded uh, thee of God. And so we will look at this story uh, and, and the setup here for the uh conversion of Cornelius in this household. But let's Uh, bow in a word of prayer and we'll get started father we're uh grateful for this day and grateful for another opportunity to uh come back to your word and and to uh look at these things that have been done and accomplished over the course of time and to understand uh the way that you made the way for us uh to enter into what we have today and so we we know that anything that is set up or established is done uh carefully and there are those that have go before, uh, as it were, as the forerunners in order to prepare the path. And we we see this with the early church. And so uh, we're grateful uh, for the opportunity uh, that we have to benefit from uh, what they did in in helping to lay the foundation and that we have the opportunity to live out these lives in a way that's uh, glorifying and well-pleasing to you. We pray that we would do so in your son's name. Amen. All right. And so at the top of page one twenty five, we see verse one. And in this first section, uh, the section we read, there is the foundation that is laid for the delivery of the gospel to Cornelius and his household, which is the first time that we'll see Gentiles uh, receiving the gospel. Now, I set this up before that. you see different things happening when different people receive the gospel after the day of Pentecost. Right. And it's all revolving around the Holy Spirit. And I set this up very early in, in the book. What we looked at were themes where the expansion of the gospel and the use of the Holy Spirit. Right. And so how was the Holy Spirit imparted to people is a big part of that sub theme for the Holy Spirit. Uh, You see that he was imparted in different ways. Those that were saved during Christ's earthly ministry that were there during the day of Pentecost. What happened? They received the Holy Spirit at the day of Pentecost. We see some that were saved during Christ's earthly ministry and were not there on the day of Pentecost. What happened? People came and laid their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. Now we're going to and I don't want to spoil it here, but we're going to see that the Holy Spirit is received in a different way. As the gospel has completely gone out to the Gentiles, what happens? Nobody needs to go and lay hands on anybody. Nobody needs to wait for the day of Pentecost to come. The Holy Spirit comes on them immediately. So this is one thing to pay attention to in this context. Uh, We also see. With this guy, Cornelius, that it is the first time uh, that someone who was not saved receives the gospel here. Right. He was doing all of these things before out of, I believe, what would be religious superstition. Right. These he believes that the God of Israel is the true and living God, but he doesn't know how to connect to that God. And so he does. The only thing he knows how to do is to give to the poor of Israel and to to pray to God. Right. (laughs) And. Unfortunately, uh, those prayers were probably not answered, but they were remembered by God. And we see this uh, in this bringing in Peter. And this is why I believe uh, people say, well, what about these people all the way out there in the middle of nowhere that have never heard about God? Well, I think people whose true intention is to serve God. And these people that are elect, God is going to allow for those people to get to you to to give you the gospel. Right. And I cite uh, the pastor's story. He gives me good illustrations sometimes. But we had this friend from Ethiopia. Right. And I remember him well from when I was uh, uh, Tanzania. Sorry. When when I was a kid. Um, yeah, he, he remembers better. He was, I was just a kid. Anyways. Exiled was his name, and he was an imposing guy, very, very tall, but a very friendly guy. And he told us all of these stories about how he would go out into the outer parts of Africa, some of these secluded parts, and he would give the gospel to these people that had never heard of God before. But what would they say? Let me keep me right on my memory. (laughs) They would say that I knew there had to be someone. Because I, I looked up at the sky and the sun and the moon and the stars and I knew something had to put those there. This is this is just logic, right? If you're, you're thinking through what is actually happening and aren't too smart for your own good, like some of these scientists where you come up with all of these theories about how everything came to be. But God honored that and provided these people that went out and gave them the gospel. And so you see that uh, here as well with Cornelius. But in verses one through eight, we see the introduction uh, to this man, Cornelius, and we see that he's a, a pretty high up uh, soldier in the Roman army. And so in verse one, we see his personal profile. What does it say there? There was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of the band called the Italian band. Now, Cornelius is Latin, uh, a Latin family name meaning horn. Uh, and he was he's specified as a certain man. Uh, and so you see this. There was a man, a certain one. And so it's particularizing this individual Cornelius out from those uh, that are in the area. Now, this term uh, certain man uh, is only used in the Gospels. And we see it uh, uh, again uh, used uh, in the Gospel. excuse me, in Acts. So this uh, use of this certain man um, it's used in Luke chapter 8 and verse 27 to particularize the Garrisonian uh, maniac. And so go with me over there really quickly. Luke chapter 8 and verse 27. And we can pick it up in um, verse 26. it says there, and they arrived at the country of the gatherings, which is over against Galilee. And when he uh, went forth to the land, there met him out of the city, a certain man, which had uh, devils a long time and where no clothes, neither abode in any house, but in tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him and with a loud voice said, what have I to do with thee, Jesus, thou son of God, uh, most high? I beseech thee to torment me not. And so we know <laughs> the the story there that this man is relieved of this demon or demons that are, are in him, uh, multiple demons, really. Uh, but he's a certain man. It was uh, for a particular time and place. And he's called out from amongst others. We also see this used <clears throat> in Acts chapter three and verse two. Or it looks at this lame man who's sitting around asking for alms at the temple before he's healed by Peter and John. Acts chapter three and verse two. Now, it says in verse one, now, Peter and John went up together into the temple at the hour of prayer being the ninth hour. And a certain man, lame from his mother's womb, was carried, whom laid uh, daily at the gate of the temple, which is called beautiful, to ask alms of them that entered into the temple. Now, what do we know of this man? He ends up getting healed, right? He's asking for money uh, and he ends up getting something that's a lot better than money and healing. Uh, We also see this use this term used over in Acts chapter five and verse one to describe And Ananias, who unfortunately doesn't have anything good (laughs) happen for him, (laughs) but he is particularized as a certain man out from those of the the early church. And so remember, in the last chapter, he describes what's happening here and these people selling their land. Right. And then giving the the proceeds to the church uh, to be separated and divided amongst the people. But in verse one, it says, but a certain man and that but is in contrast with what is spoken about in the last chapter. Right. He he says all of these good things that these people are doing and the manner in which they were doing them. And he says, but But. (laughs) this man, Ananias, a certain man named Ananias with his wife, Sapphira, sold a possession and kept back part of the price, his wife also being privy to it and brought a certain part. And laid it at the apostles feet. And so we see him uh, distinguished again out from among these of the early church In Luke chapter or excuse me, Luke, Acts chapter eight and verse nine. We see it used as they introduce Simon, uh, this Samaritan who is uh, bewitching the people and using uh, really um, a lot of subterfuge to to uh, uh, deceive them in putting himself off that he's something that he's really not. Uh, And we've been here before, but pick it up in in, uh, verse 9. It says, but there was a certain man called Simon, which before time in the same city used sorcery and bewitched the people of Samaria, giving out that himself was some great one to whom they all gave heed from the least to the greatest, saying, this man is a great power of God. And so, again, you see it setting up for the introduction to this man, Simon. And uh, eventually he's converted there, but uh, keeps up with his his former foolishness (laughs) in that. Uh, In Acts chapter 14 and verse eight, we see it used uh, to introduce the impotent man at Lystra that was healed. And this guy was unfortunately a a lightning rod to persecution for uh, Paul. But uh, Acts chapter 14 and verse uh, eight, and it says there and there sat a certain man at, at Lystra impotent in his feet, being crippled from his mother's womb, who had never walked. The same heard Paul speak, whom uh, steadfastly beholding him and perceiving that he had faith to be healed, said with a loud voice, stand upright on thy feet. And he leaped and walked. And when the people had saw uh, what Paul had done, they lifted up their voice, saying in the speech of the Lyconians, the gods are come down to us in the likeness of men. Yes, possibly, Sophie, it sounded something like that. (laughs) We also see in Acts chapter 16 and verse nine that this is used to call attention to uh, one calling for Paul out of Macedonia. And so here uh, we see uh, some divine interaction uh, in this. And a vision again for Paul. And it says in verse nine "And a a vision appeared to Paul in uh, the night there stood a man. Uh, of Macedonia and prayed to him, saying, "Come over into Macedonia and help us." And so, uh, yeah this man here—it's it's just translated "man," but the term really there is a, a certain man, right, out from the many here. And uh, then you see again uh, the divine interaction in that. Uh, we won't go to all of these. There's there's several more of them, but we see it used over in Acts 17:5 uh, to describe the base uh, men uh, that utilize. Are utilized by the Jews uh, to stir up against Paul. Uh, and then over in Acts chapter 17, verse 34, where it's used to uh, of those men that followed Paul from Athens. And so these are, are bad men, uh, certain men uh, out from that area that that followed him uh, over in Acts chapter 22, verse 12. It's used to distinguish Ananias from the other people of, of Damascus. And so dating back to Paul's conversion and the man that helped him to convert uh Ananias is called a certain man. And then it's used by Festus in his description uh, to Felix of, of what's going on uh, with Paul. And so you see this uh, term going back to Acts chapter eight or 10, excuse me, utilized to distinguish an individual that is, that is of importance. And a lot of time it's when some miracle is about to take place, somebody that's been appointed for something <laughs> For a very moment, I would like to borrow an Old Testament term and say for such a time as this. Right. God has set this action up to take place. And this certain person has been called for this very specific moment. And you see this with this man, Cornelius. And so uh, back to, to chapter one of, of verse uh, or verse one of chapter 10, I'm getting ahead of myself and my my thoughts there. <laughs> Uh, we see he's located at Caesarea. And so Caesarea is 30 miles north of Joppa. So remember, our makeshift map is not up there anymore. But if you look to the coastline where Joppa was, it's going to go directly up north of Joppa. That's where uh, this town Caesarea is. And uh, I might enlist uh, Brother Scott to give us the walking distance <laughs> like he did last time. Now I'm not going to make you work. That's the work I should have done. Uh, But we see the further description of Cornelius in that he was a centurion. And so as you think of the Roman army, uh, the centurion is a commander in the Roman army over 100 men. And so you hear that English word century in that, which means 100 years. And that's where it's derived from now. This idea of centurions, we see them throughout Scripture, and these are men that are, are a little higher up in the Roman army, and they have some some authority, uh, and they have people underneath them. Uh, we see in in Matthew chapter twenty seven, and I'm going to be really selective here about which ones I go to. I don't want to go to all of them, uh, but we see in uh, Matthew twenty seven fifty four, a centurion oversaw the crucifixion of the Lord, and was uh, caused to believe after he uh, took in all of the events. Uh, Let's go to the one in Acts, since we're in the book of Acts. Uh, Acts chapter 21 and verse 32, we see a centurion is utilized to break up the the disturbance after the Jews were beating Paul uh, for entering the temple with a Gentile. Acts chapter 21 and verse 32. I'm not going to beat up on Paul today. He's already been beaten up enough in the context, but (laughs) we will We will suffice it to say that he was warned not to go to Jerusalem. Right. And he ended up going. And just as it was prophesied what was going to happen, it it takes place. And so uh, here we see uh, uh, Paul receiving the the uh, unfortunate uh, consequences of this this decision. But pick it up in verse twenty five. uh, maybe I should go back a little more. No, stop. Start there. It says it's touching the Gentiles, which believe we have written and concluded that they observe no such things save only that they keep themselves from things offered unto idols and from blood and from things strangled and from fornication. Then Paul took men and the next day purifying himself with uh, with them entered into the temple to signify the accomplishment of the days of purification unto that. Uh, an offering should be offered for every one of them, and when the seven days were almost ended, the Jews, which were of Asia, when they had saw or when they saw him in the temple, stirred up all the people and laid hands on him, crying, "Men of Israel, help! This is the man that teaches all men everywhere against the people and the law and this place." And further brought Greeks also into the temple and have polluted this holy place, for they had seen him or seen before with him uh, in the city Trophimus uh, and Ephesian, whom they supposed that Paul had brought into the temple. Uh, And all the city was moved, and the people ran together, and they took Paul and drew him out of the temple, and forthwith the doors were shut. And as they went about to kill him, tidings came to the chief captain of the band that all of Jerusalem was in an uproar who immediately took soldiers and centurions and ran down unto him. And when the chief captain uh, and the soldiers uh, and and when they saw the chief captain, excuse me, and the soldiers, they left beating Paul. Uh, then the chief captain uh, came near and took him and commanded him to be bound with two chains. And demanded who he was and what he had done. And so uh, we'll get into that a little later. Uh, I don't know. We're only through 10 chapters so far. This might be two years from now or, or however long it is. But uh, we see uh, this uh, centurion here, this this bringing back order to this situation in which they're trying to bring harm to Paul. Uh, we also see centurions are shown. Uh, To not have to be Roman born in order to serve in the Roman army. Go with me over one chapter to chapter 22 and verse 28. And here you see uh, Paul specifying uh, his uh, Roman citizenship. And this guy is going to say, hey, I had to to buy mine. (laughs) And he's a centurion. Uh, and Paul tells him, "Hey, well, I was born uh, this way." But pick it up in verse twenty-two. It says they gave him audience unto his this word and lifted up their voices and said, "Away with such a fellow from the earth, for it is not fit that he should live." And as they cried out and cast off their clothes and threw dust into the air, oh boy, very emotional bunch here. <laughs> verse twenty-four: yeah. the chief captain commanded him to be brought into the castle and bade that they or or that he should be examined by scourging. Then he might that that he might know wherefore they cried uh so against him. Now uh interesting here that he thinks you have to beat him to get this information he could have just asked, right? (laughs) But verse twenty five, and as they uh, bound him with thongs, Paul said unto the centurion that stood by, is it lawful for you to scourge a man that is Roman and uncondemned? When the centurion heard that he went and told the chief captain, saying, Take heed that what thou doest, for this man is a Roman. Then the chief captain came and said unto him, Tell me, art thou a Roman? He said, Yea. And the chief captain answered, with a, of, uh, with a great sum obtain I this freedom. And Paul said, But I was freeborn. Then straightway uh, they departed from uh, him which should have examined him. And the chief captain also was afraid after he knew he was a Roman and because he was, he, he had bound him. And so here you see this guy uh, purchased his way into Roman citizenship uh, and into the Roman army. Uh, We see also the centurions uh, showed to have a hundred soldiers under them and we don't need to go there, but in the next uh, chapter 23 and verse 23 and uh, finally, a centurion uh, from a, the Augustus band. Here's another band of of uh, um, uh, Roman soldiers uh, led Paul to Rome. And so that's in Acts chapter 27 and verse one. Now, going back to Acts ch- or chapter 10, you see here this band that this centurion Cornelius is a part of is called the Italian band. Uh, and so as you look in your footnote there. Uh, I have a note on bands, and it says the Italian band was a cohort (coughs) composed of volunteer Roman citizens born in Italy and stationed at Caesarea at this time. Uh, Shurer maintains that there uh, could have been no Roman cohort there at this time, although he accepts the testimony of inscriptions to the presence of the Italian cohort at a later time. He accordingly rejects. The story of Cornelia, Cornelius holding that the author of Acts has given, uh, has given in this narrative conditions belonging to that time or, or later time. Uh, in reply sure, uh, to sure Blas asks, why one of the five cohorts mentioned by Josephus? may not have been composed of Roman citizens living in Caesarea at the time. And so basically uh, what you see here is one guy saying that there wouldn't have been an Italian uh, band in, in uh, the area at that time, and it's later proven not to be true. Uh, but these, these this Italian band is a group of soldiers uh, under the Roman army, and so they're characterized that way, and you see it contrasted. Uh, with the uh, Augustus band that's mentioned later in Acts chapter 27 and verse 1, so they had names for these uh, bands that are underneath uh, these centurions, and this one specifically is a, a band of of uh, voluntary soldiers um, uh, for the Roman army. Um, I lost my place in my notes there, uh, but this idea of Italian band. We see it. uh, Cornelius is stating to be out from the Italian band. And so uh, possibly the source that he rose from within the the ranks of the band to be the, the leader over the the Italian band. And this Italian means pertaining or belonging to Italy. Uh, Ban, again, is a cohort or battalion of of the Roman military technical term, uh, meaning the 10th part of a legion. And we know legion to be a thousand or more and normally containing, uh, though, 600 troops, uh, as we see in Scripture, at least. And so uh, their order uh, is or looking at the order of this thing. If you were to break it down, it goes the Roman army. Then there are legions, which are uh, six thousand approximately underneath the Roman army. And then a cohort or band is 600 uh, to uh, underneath that um, uh, Roman legion. Uh, and so um, th- these are the groupings of, of the Roman army. Now, the personal character of, of uh, Cornelius is described in verse two. It says he is a devout man and one that feareth God with all his house, which gave much alms to the people and prayed to God all way. Now, this word for devout is an interesting one that we see occur uh, throughout scripture. Uh, But it has the idea, and this is from Freiburg, of a manner of life lived reverently and respectfully toward God. And so it is not saying that uh, Cornelius, because he did these things, was saved. Right. Mm -hmm. In fact, we're going to come to see that he was not saved or he wouldn't have needed to be given the gospel. Um, But he did uh, do service toward God because of his uh, what I would call religious superstition. Now, as you think back to men over the course of time, and I always like to go way back to the beginning to Cain and to Abel, what did they do? They did service to God, both of them. Now, Abel's just happened to be in the manner that God requested, right, or that God saw fitting uh, to to give Cain's was out of a work of the flesh, wanting to show forth how good he was to God. And I, I'm sure you guys know and have realized over the course of time that there is a component to the sin nature that is religious in this origin. Right. Why do you have so many people that will go to church? Right. Once a week <laughs> when they get out of church, it's a totally different life. Right. And this doesn't have to just be of a certain uh, stripe of, quote, unquote, Christendom. This is a lot of people. Once a week I go to church. That's my service I've done to God. The rest of the week is for me. Right? And that's that's just what you see. Now, with Cornelius here, I think he was sincere in his desire To seek after the true and living God. And he saw this one of Israel as being the true and living God. Why do I say that? Because as you look at Romans, what do they have? They have a multitude of gods, right? And he could have just looked at and done his service to this multitude of gods that were of Rome. But what did he say? He said, this God of Israel is different than these multitude of gods of Rome. And I want to do service to him. He just didn't know how to do it in the right way. And so we see this, uh, uh, that he's devout. Now, this word uh, for devout is found in in several places. Again, I want to skip through these. They're not as important to the context, but they're there if you guys want to go back and look at them. Uh, But Ananias was described uh, by Paul in this manner as being uh, uh, devout or godly. And it, it just means that, that you're willing to do service to God. Uh, we see Peter speak of the Lord's ability to deliver these out from trials in uh, 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse 9. We're at the top of page 127. But in this context, knowing that Cornelius is in need of salvation, we have to look at it differently than we do a believer who is called godly. Right. And so godliness for a believer in and in, in here and now means that you are showing forth God's qualities through your life. Right. And we know that only comes from indwelling here with with Cornelius. He did not have this ability. And so the things that he was doing uh, were just out of, again, religious superstition. Now, he was not only described as devout, he is described as God fearing. And so here is the recognition and reverence for God. Uh, And again, contrary to the pantheism of Rome. And it is connected to a reverence for the God of Israel. And this is proved out through his actions. Not only is he uh, one that fears God, he's one uh, with all of his house. We don't want to ignore that. Uh, But he he proved this by giving alms to the people and by praying to God all way. Now, um, we could break those things down a little bit more, but alms is just uh, giving to to poor or money's given to the poor. And then his prayers uh, are are, uh, really the word there for supplications or or crying out for help on on behalf of others. So you see uh, in his servitude to God, he was very others focused. Right. It wasn't about him. He's giving and doing for others. In verse three, we see uh, the vision then that is seen by him uh, from God. And so it says in uh, verse three, he saw in a vision evidently about the ninth hour of the the day an angel from God coming into him and saying unto him, Cornelius. And so this viewing is very interesting. Uh, It says he saw. And this uh, Iden word comes from our or or having that uh, uh, graphic vision of, of something that you can see and discern. And so what he saw was something that he was able to cognitively observe. Uh, and this word for vision is a, a derivative of the word orao itself. And it has that idea of something uh, visually seen uh, and recognized. Um, Now, in uh, Acts chapter 18 and verse nine, and we've seen this word used in the past, but I want to jump to a couple of these usages of this word for vision. Uh, In Acts chapter 18 and verse nine, it's used of how God calmed uh, Paul uh, in communication with him after he was chased out of Corinth. And so remember, uh, in the context, Paul (coughs) is chased through many cities and these Jews from, from uh, Thessalonica, I believe, if I remember right, are are chasing him to different cities and looking for the opportunity to, to thwart what he's doing. And he's kind of just in a, a tough mental state here, right? You've got people coming after you everywhere you go. You thought you'd escaped them from one city. And guess what? You show up in the next city and they're there, too. Everywhere you turn, these people are there chasing you down. And it has a cumulative uh, mental effect on him. And so it says the Lord had to come to him and and calm him down a bit. Uh, pick it up in verse 5. It says, And, and uh, when Silas and Timotheus were come from Macedonia, Paul press, was pressed in the spirit and testified to the Jews that Jesus was the Christ. And when they opposed themselves and blasphemed, he shook his raiment and said unto them, Your blood be upon your own heads. I am clean from henceforth. I will go unto the Gentiles. And he departed thence and entered into a certain man's house uh, named Justice, one who worshiped God, whose house joined hard to the synagogue. And Crispus, the chief ruler of the synagogue, believed on the Lord with all his house. And many of the Corinthians, hearing, believed and were baptized. Then spake the Lord to Paul in the night by vision. Stop being that be not is an interruptive uh, interruption of ongoing action. Right, it's in the present tense. This word for fear. He says, "Stop being afraid, but speak and hold not thy peace, for I am with thee, and no man shall set on thee to hurt thee, for I have much people in this city." And he continued there a year and six months, teaching the word of God among them. And so here you see God appearing to him to bring peace. Uh, to him in this this time of turbulence. Uh, when it's in the vision. Uh, Acts chapter 11 and verse 5 going back. We see uh, that uh, this state uh, further explained by Peter as he's rehearsing uh, what happened to the Jews. as they're questioning him for having gone into these uh, Gentiles. <coughs> and pick it up in verse one. It says there in the apostles uh, and brethren. That were in Judea heard that the Gentiles had also received the word of God. And when Paul was come up to Jerusalem, they that were uh, of the circumcision contended with him, saying, Thou wentest in to men uncircumcised and didst eat with them? But Peter rehearsed the matter uh, from the beginning and expounded it by order uh, or in order uh, unto them, saying, I was in the city of Joppa praying and in a trance. I saw a vision. And so here you see two states that are described and we'll get to this word for trance in this uh, context before. uh, But this word for trance is even different from this word for vision. So the vision is just the thing that you see. The trance is the state that you're in. And we'll break that down here in just a bit. Uh, And so what does he see when he was in a trance? A certain vessel descend as it had been a great sheet let down from heaven by the four corners. And it came even to me. And so you see this uh, idea of the word for trance utilized there. Now, going back to chapter uh, 10 in verse three. He says he saw in a vision uh, and and he further explains this vision by saying it was a clear vision. Right. And so some things you have dreams about. Have you ever had dreams and you can't remember specifically what happened in those dreams can't remember details you just have a general understanding of what happened Uh, and sometimes you have these dreams you realize that it's a dream right well here you're talking about a state that's just like you or i are in right now but you're outside of yourself is what this word for ecstasy means and you're seeing something and he's not only outside of himself and seeing something he's seeing it very clearly I like to think about these cartoons where people are laying on the ground, right? And then they go outside, their spirit is hovering around and they're looking down on their body interacting. That's kind of the state that comes to my mind when I think about this. But this word for evidently comes from the word phoenaros, which is in contrast to what is indistinct. And so it's very plain, clear or distinct in, in vision. It's used over in Mark Chapter 1 and verse 45, don't worry about turning. We won't go to any of these, but uh, you guys can go back and look on your own time. It's of the inability of Jesus to operate in public due to his fame after the healing of the leper, right? So everybody knows about him. He's out there and he, he, he didn't want to be known in, in some of these instances, but it couldn't be contained. In John chapter 7 and verse 10, is contracted contrasted with the secret actions of the disciples, right? And so they're doing Uh, These things in private um, and and not clearly. Uh, And last thing that we want to look at with this uh, description here is that it's the ninth hour of the of the day. And so this will be approximately 3 p.m. uh, as you're looking at it from our time. Uh, And interestingly enough, this term for the ninth hour of the, the day occurs quite a bit. It occurs over in, in Matthew chapter 20 and verse four, where it's cited by the Lord uh, in the parable of the labors of the vineyard. It's cited in Matthew chapter 27 and verse 46. And there it's identified as a time that God separated himself from Jesus and his humanity. Uh, and so remember when the Lord was on the cross and he said, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? It was the ninth hour of the day or about three o'clock. Uh, We see it used in Acts chapter three. And we were back there just a second ago where it's identified as the hour of prayer, which Peter and John uh, went to the temple for uh, when they healed the lame man. And then at the end of this chapter, we see it used as the occasion uh, detailed for Peter by Cornelius when he later rehearsed the event. And so um, what happens here at this ninth hour? We see an angel appear and we will have to come back to that next week as we've hit uh, our time. So how about that for a cliffhanger (laughs) right in the middle of the verse? I would have liked to finish up that verse. Maybe I shouldn't have started it. But uh, we'll come back uh, next week and look at this appearance of this angel from God. And we want to particularize this from the angel from God. This is an angel from God. And he has a message for Cornelius, who has been seeking after God and is going to find him in this instance. Let's bow in a word of prayer. Father, we're uh, grateful for this day again, grateful that you are a God who is a rewarder of those that diligently seek you And we've seen it time and time again throughout uh, the course of of the history of the Bible, that those that have a sincere desire uh, to to know you, you provide the opportunity for them to do so. And this is, of course, uh, we know in in, uh, accordance with your selection of these individuals. And so uh, we're so grateful that we are among those uh, who who you've uh, awarded the opportunity to know you uh, because of what you've done on our behalf through your son, Jesus Christ. And we get to see it uh, play out in scripture, uh, in the book of Acts. We get to see it play out in our own lives as we uh, put into place those things that you uh, have allowed for us. And we get to see it in the life of others as well. And so we're we're grateful for all of these things. And it's in your son's name we pray. Amen.